there's no London this week, as the team are taking a well-deserved break for Christmas. But if you haven't heard it yet, last week's satirical review of the year, featuring Kath Slasser, Ruth Lang, Peter Bloxman, Sonny Malhotra, is a humorous and bruising look at some of the big stories of 2022 and well worth digging out. Today, though, I'm thrilled to be introducing an episode of Words on Wood. This is a podcast made by the American Hardwood Export Council in collaboration with the brilliant design journal Desenio. It delves into some big questions surrounding forests, the timber industry, and uses of wood as the design material. It's a show we at Open City really like and already subscribe to and hope you will as well. The episodes are very well edited, great length. They mix interviews and analysis from timber experts with designers, architects and furniture makers. The very first episode of the first season, um, for example, featured an interview with Sebastian Cox, a carpenter I hugely admire. Today, though, we're going to play an episode from season two. In this season, Desenio's editors Ollie Stratford and India Block navigate the intersections between worlds of forestry and design, focusing in on topics including timber construction, experimental uses of wood and cellulose, a worldwide timber tracing network, and a look at how designers and makers are exploring and reinventing traditional woodcraft practices. We hope you enjoy the show as much as we do. You can find it wherever you can get your podcasts. The London will be back with breaking news in the new year. Until then, Merry Christmas. Here's episode one, season two of Words on Wood. What's the oldest wooden building in the world? <laughs> Sorry, are we a pub quiz podcast now? Is this our sophomore slump? Just humour me. Do you want to know? Yeah, go on then, enlighten me. The oldest wooden building in the world is the Horuji Temple in Japan, which is estimated to be between 1300 and 1400 years old. The tree ring survey on the central pillar of its pagoda dated the felling of that particular tree way back to 594 AD. That is pretty old. But do you know what's not gotten old? This podcast series. So good, it has double the W's, and now double the seasons. Welcome to Words on Wood, Season 2. I'm India Block. And I'm Ollie Stratford. We're the editors of Desenio, the International Quarterly Journal of Design. And this is the next instalment of our collaboration with the American Hardwood Export Council, or AHEC, where we get to the root of all things trees. From caring for our forests and the people who live and work with them, to how timber is being used in both new and traditional ways across design and architecture. Think fine craftsmanship, ranging through to cutting-edge cellulose research. And we've got some great guests coming up, from leading designers and architects such as Sam Hecht, Alison Brooks, Stephen Burks and Tomoka Zumi, as well as a trip to the Royal Botanic Gardens at Kew to speak with some of the people behind the new World Forest ID programme. But to kick this second season off, we're going to be talking about building with timber, With all the pressure on architects and engineers to find more sustainable ways to build, timber, it turns out, has the potential to revolutionise the field. So, it's fair to say that humanity has a long history of working with wood. But what about our future? After over a thousand years, what more do we have to learn about building with timber? An awful lot, actually. The ancient construction material is having a very modern moment, and the experts are clamouring to work with it. It's a boom time for wood. 
I think it's probably fair to say, I mean, it varies from country to country, but broadly fair to say that every engineer now wants to be working on a timber building. That's Andrew Lawrence, a London-based engineer who is the global timber specialist for Arup. Uh, If you don't know Arup, they're one of the world's big players in engineering and architecture. If you can think of a big, complex 20th or 21st century building, chances are that they were involved. The Sydney Opera House is a personal favourite. It's an exciting time. I think engineers, like architects, we'd like to be doing something doing something a little bit different. So the idea of using and exploring a new material, um, we find a, a really good challenge. So, uh, much like ABBA, it seems Wood is staging a comeback. The ABBA connection is quite apt, actually, considering they're planning on playing to the audience in London from a temporary timber stadium, or rather, the ABBA holograms will. But just as technology can restore our Swedish pop gods to their full splendour, it sounds like new ways of working with wood have the potential to revolutionise the way we build. Andrew had some salient points on this. While low-rise timber buildings have been around for a while, engineers are now getting hot under the collar at the challenge of building high-rise timber buildings, or low-rise buildings that make use of engineered wood. Now, the second building block, which is the CLT, that's the exciting new one. It was only really invented in the late 90s in, uh, in Central Europe, Austria and Germany. So that's cross-laminated timber and engineered wood, which is what we're talking about when we say mass timber. It's a step up in strength from glue lamb, an older form of engineered wood, where pieces of wood are glued together in the same direction. As, again, as the name says, cross-laminated timber, they are laid up in each layer at 90 degrees to the next and all glued together so that one can make very large sheets. And in theory, one could make huge sheets, but in practice, there's a limit to the size that one can transport. And so we're generally talking about something sitting on the flatbed of a lorry, which might be three metres wide and perhaps 12 or 16 metres long, these sort of proportions. These sheets of engineered wood have become the building blocks for architects and engineers. And there are different ways of using them, either alone or in combination with other materials. The glue lamb has been around for 100 years. It's not new. The game changer is the CLT. So when I started working in wood, as I say, now nearly 20 years ago, I, um, I, I wanted to get myself up to speed with all the latest developments. And I went round and I was, one particular factory I visited was in just outside Munich. And that, at the time, was one of the few factories in the world which were making CLT. I'd never seen it before. This is back now in 2002, I think. It was interesting what the factory said was. And I said, oh, this is very interesting. And they said, yes, we, it's quite um, heavy. They said, we don't transport it very far. It tends to get used for houses in the, in the local area. The, and so even that factory who was making it, they had no idea that this thing that they were making would have the impact that, it's, that it really has had. So how did CLT get its big break? Andrew told me it's down to digital fabrication. So it's not just about having a big CLT panel. If you can program a machine to cut that panel to a predetermined shape, then that opens up all kinds of opportunities for prefabricated wooden buildings. Because the CLT panel by itself is, is fine, but if you can accurately machine it, cut out window openings, make it to a very accurate size so that you can then quickly assemble those panels on site, that becomes the game changer. And that digital fabrication... The, uh, the first time I ever saw it was in 2005. And at that stage, we have one factory in the world that has it. So the, it, it needed 
that digital fabrication to come together with the CLT and that takes a few more years and so that then suddenly it does start to become a game changer. But Andrew stressed working with wood is always a learning experience. It's still a material that um, should we say it's in a sort of research phase. It's it's been used obviously for hundreds of years for smaller structures but to use it in bigger structures I think everyone would admit that certain aspects are still being worked through. Timber is a little bit more flexible than other construction materials, which changes some of the calculations required. Um, To take one, for example, which is now um, well understood after research over the past few years, is floor dynamics. So some of the earlier um, recent timber buildings, perhaps the floors were a little livelier than one would have liked. But now, um, tremendous research and testing has been done on lots of those built buildings. And so we can now predict very accurately how those buildings will behave and, uh, and actually um, make, make something where there, where there simply won't be any vibration issues. So that's, that's an example where the research has really developed. It's pretty exciting to think that we're on the cusp of a whole new generation of timber buildings. And finding new ways of working with an old material is also changing the way we think about architecture. And also the fact of building with wood makes us think about uh, an architecture that could uh, evolve, that could be uh, thought of as an assembly of elements and at the same time that could be disassembled. So the notion of permanence here is also different uh, and uh, quite interestingly questions how permanent is our architecture actually and what we build in our uh, city. That's Lena Gottmer, a Lebanese architect who lives in Paris. She spoke to me about some of the timber buildings she's designed, and we got pretty philosophical on how wood challenges society's current obsession with buildings made to stand the test of time. She asked some really interesting questions, such as why shouldn't buildings visibly age or change or even move location entirely? I really like the idea that even when we're throwing tech into the mix with engineered wood, There's still something symbiotic about living beings working with a material that's almost alive in its own way. It's grown out of living cells and it's ultimately trapped in the same cycle of entropy that we all are. Yeah, without getting too deep into googling are trees alive, trust me, (laughs) it's a rabbit hole, it's fascinating to think about how wood ages in a completely different way to concrete or steel. And for architects used to buildings that stay static throughout their lifetimes, working with wood can really challenge that notion. It also all depends on how we frame it. How do we relate to materials? Do we relate to materials as, uh, as uh, like elements that are in constant becoming? I like the idea that architecture is in constant becoming, is in constant... Uh, between brackets, ruination, because actually the the world is alive and materials are alive as well. It doesn't mean that they become, uh, uh, let's say, ugly and we have have to live with their becoming as well and try to think of how these materials aesthetically and also um, in our collective perception could be also allowed to live and to, uh, to change our urbanscape. It's interesting that she's drawn a link between wood and the city, because so often our notions of the urban landscape involve towers of glass and steel. Yeah, wooden buildings can sound like something quite sylvan. Let's all build ourselves a little wooden house in the woods and live out our cottagecore fantasies. 
But Lena thinks that wood could actually be the key to solving some of the big questions facing those urban populations. Today, also, one of the questions that we ask ourselves in cities is the notion of density and how we will have to build more, actually, to accommodate for all the rising population by 2050 in the urban areas. And there will be the question of density, of building on top of our buildings, and wood is a very good answer because it's a lightweight material, you can build and unbuild easily. Uh, it drives you also to think about temporality of what we're constructing, the fact that what we're building can be dismantled, nothing can be wasted afterwards, which is much more like uh, a smarter way of conceiving our environment. Acknowledging that buildings can and will be taken apart is a humbling moment for some architects. And also society's notion of property is something to be kept intact to accrue value. Obviously, wood isn't the only material that can be put up and taken apart easily. But it's an interesting way of thinking about a building as something with a lifespan. Just like you can read a tree by its rings, you can think about buildings as living systems that will grow or contract over their lifetimes. So what other predictions did Lena have about the future of wood? Well, similarly to Andrew's point about CLT and digital fabrication that you brought up, Lena spoke about how technology has the potential to unlock some of Timber's innate qualities. Actually, one of the other issues or like benefits of wood is that we haven't explored enough is uh, the fact that it's a living material. The fact that also, like if you look at uh, all the researches in uh, Stuttgart uh, that have been done in the school about this wood that is very thin and that just by understanding its reaction to humidity, you would be able to have skins that really open up uh, when it's too uh, hot inside to let air like get into a, a pavilion or into a space so the fact that it's just a living material that could react to our environment and uh, give better like comfort inside without the use of any energy or electricity so there's a lot to, to explore in this material and uh, and that we haven't maybe explored enough uh, today. But technology would allow to do that. It's a real shift, but these ideas are catching on and they've really captured the imaginations of a lot of architects and engineers. There's a whole wave of practitioners who are now testing out some of the limits of the material and seeing what can be done with it. Okay, so big question time. What do you think has driven this? Because you do sometimes get these trends in design, like when all taps and light switches were suddenly being made out of copper. Or when millennial pink stretched out as far as the eye could see. But I get the impression that there are some deeper, more critically sound reasons for this renewal of interest in wood, of which sustainability is obviously chief amongst them. Yeah, sustainability is the big one. I think that across the architecture and construction industries, everyone is or should be, trying to grapple with how we can create more environmentally responsible buildings. Timber seems to provide one of the more obvious and effective responses to that. Presumably this is something that Andrew spoke about. You'd be surprised. Andrew acknowledged that sustainability definitely is the big issue. But it wasn't something he then went into much detail on. He kind of just name-checked it and moved on. He really gave me the sense that he considered that debate to be settled. People already know that timber construction is more environmentally friendly than some of the alternatives. Let's hear it in his own words. (laughs) It's really not an especially in-depth clip. 
you definitely want to hear it. Give the people what they want. I would say there are three aspects. So um, the first one is obviously the potential sustainability benefits. And that's it. Like I said, the sustainability aspect feels settled, at least in terms of people knowing what they should be doing. But you're kind of holding out on me back there, because Andrew mentioned three aspects to the interest in wood. Sustainability is the first, fine, but what are the other two? Now, these are more interesting in a sense, because they're less familiar. The second and probably most important one, um, aside from that, is speed of construction. So the point is that the wood is prefabricated. So unlike, uh, for example, wet concrete trades on site, because it's dry prefabricated construction off site, so it's very fast to assemble. So sometimes you, you, you can save 10 or 20 or 30% of time off the programme. That, and that time benefit can be a huge benefit to, 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 to clients. And that speed leads to a certain unobtrusiveness because it means timber buildings can be constructed at times when it's more convenient. Lena actually talked about this too, particularly in relation to more flexible architecture. She actually did an installation in Paris called the Zero Carbon Hotel, which looks at how hotel rooms might become more flexible spaces that could be used for more than just sleeping in, but also works as adaptive common spaces. So... The entire room is made out of thick wooden walls, which then contain different modules, such as beds, tables, bathrooms, facilities, and so on. And they could be assembled and reconfigured pretty quickly according to need. So we, we, we thought about all these activities and tried to think about a room that could become a potential room, like a room for potential uh, activities. So basically freeing that space uh, of the room and instead of putting the bed and the toilets, all these facilities inside that space, we put it in the skin and the envelope of the room. And of course, like uh, the whole idea was the modularity of that room, how, how much modular it is, how we connect one room to the other. So we thought the wood is the best material actually to be modular, to be very flexible and also uh, that you could uh, pre prefabricate everything, mount it in place very quickly. So that was the drive uh, function, drive, let's say, of using wood. Hotels are a great example, but those same properties are good for other kinds of spaces too. Um, if I give you examples of different types of clients, um, the, um, for, for example, um, a lot of timber has been used for schools and universities. And I think the sense of if you can do as much of the construction as possible in the school holiday or the university holiday, that obviously is, is, is less disturbing to, um, to lectures. And in fact, the, the timber construction you'll never hear any noise on the timber construction site, whereas steel or concrete, there's lots of banging and crashing going on. Um, so that's the, so, so, so that's, that speed and I think low impact is a really good way of describing it. And in a sense, that, that, that captures that sustainable sense as well. So we have sustainability and we have speed. What's the third motivation? The third S. This one's a bit vaguer. I think the third aspect is um, a little bit harder to grasp. But I think we all feel it when we've been into a, um, an exposed timber building is that it's, it, it just creates a, a friendly, warm environment. And so that from a client's point of view uh, can add um, value to, um, to, to the building. Sentiment. 
the three S's are complete. And that's a great one because you can point to all these more rational, practical reasons for exploring timber architecture. But there is also this emotive pull. People like being in these spaces. But I guess you have to be careful because some non-rational reasons can pull in the opposite direction too. That's why one of the big issues surrounding wooden architecture at the moment is public perception. I mean, the general, let's say, the general uh, perception uh, outside of the architectural and, let's say, the specialized uh, domain, I think there are there's still some kind of uh, apprehension around the construction of wood. There is always the story of the, the three little pigs where, the, where wood is basically the, the material that is that will burn very fast and that's the least uh, solid. So, so so of course, I mean, uh, that has to evolve and in terms of education, we're still like thinking that our wood is not really like maybe durable as a material. Those flipping fairy tales spreading slander about woods. <laughs> Actually, didn't the wolf blow the house down? I didn't know he'd escalated to arson attacks. It's a good illustration, though, about the risks associated with wooden buildings being so pervasive that they've passed into folklore. The wooden house ultimately wasn't a good defence against the wolf. The Great Fire of London has been immortalised into nursery rhymes. Architects and engineers really have their work cut out for them when some of these preconceptions about wood begin in the playground. But while wood is combustible, you can still build a fire-safe building out of it. In fact, it often behaves more predictably in a fire than other materials. An area where the research is ongoing is in terms of fire engineering. So the, we know completely how wood behaves, really. There's no the, the, the but the question is how a, how a timber, a large scale timber building will behave in fire. And so broad, broadly speaking, we've been building much smaller timber buildings for many, many years. The, but the question is, if we want to start building um, very large scale, particularly multi-storey buildings and the sorts of buildings that people might get trapped inside, then we, because what's different about wood is that once it starts burning, it can carry on burning potentially. So, and, and, the, and so it's making sure that those much larger timber buildings are fire safe. So we're back to research and experimentation. Yeah, and with any material that's in the vanguard, regulators are struggling to keep up. There have been several high-profile building fires, some that involve wood and some that didn't. So facade materials and cladding are under greater scrutiny and political pressure across the board. The regulation change, I think uh, one of the uh, accidents that uh, had influenced that is the fire in London. So it did uh, scare a lot, actually, the uh, development and all these and. And it, it made the uh, more restrictions on higher rises actually for wood cladding to reduce the the uh, combustibility of a building. So, but I think also it's part of the evolution of the regulation, uh, and in a sense that all the regulation around wood construction is under uh, under making. So it's a kind of evolution. Maybe it will change again if we find a technology or a new way of using wood as part of a composite of a facade and it will be protected, uh, uh, like more better fire-rated envelopes. Even if a building's frame is made entirely from wood, it's 
very hard to get approval to put it on the facade at the moment. So you, you would see many multi-story buildings that would be uh, built in wood in terms of structure, uh, columns and uh, CLT uh, floors, but that would be uh, from the outside completely made of another material or covered with a, a metal cladding or another kind of uh, cladding. And this is also quite frequent, more and more frequent because of the regulation. For example, last uh, August, a year ago, there was a regulation that does not allow the use of uh, wood uh, on uh, buildings uh, starting uh, a certain number of floors uh, and in a way uh, you have to clad the, the wood, protect it. It's a fire regulation. So most of our projects that reach 50 meters today uh, are cladded with a different material. So it's really as though architects and engineers are engaged in a kind of game of cat and mouse with regulators. Yeah, exactly. The rules on what you can and can't do changes multiple times as a building goes from drawing board to construction site. Lena told me about Le Bois d'Angers, her wooden housing scheme, and they've actually had to swap out the wood for zinc on the facade so that they can keep the look of the project that they originally designed, but they also comply with the latest regulations. For example, particularly this building, the whole structure of the project is in wood, but the facade is not in wood because the regulation changed and we're using, we're keeping the identity of the project with these kind of verticalities and uh, like a kind of feeling of uh, emergence, Uh, but we're using uh, zinc actually for the facade. So we have the same feeling of uh, like uh, studs. Uh, but in uh, in zinc. So we ha- here, for example, we were faced with the regulation just when we submitted the permit, and uh, if we would use wood on the facade, we would have to have uh, cut out, like basically um, balconies at every uh, level to cut the fire in, in case there is a fire that uh, starts. So the whole architecture of the building would be completely something different and also in terms of the how this will age because also if you have balconies you will have different aging uh, underneath the uh, the horizontal. I guess some of this flows into the fact that there are different ways of building with wood and architects and engineers are currently trying to figure out those and see where wood actually fits best. So probably the most interesting or satisfying examples of timber architecture at the moment are those that lean into the specific properties of the material itself. So it's flexible, quick to assemble and disassemble, and it creates a welcoming atmosphere. Lena has a really nice example here in regards to hotels, and in particular, her zero-carbon hotel concept. The other point was also uh, using wood because it uh, it has a low carbon footprint and it's a, a sustainable material and also you you don't need to add anything to the wood once you are inside that room it, the finish is there and one criticism that we had also uh, to hotels while doing our studies is all the decoration that is all the time used 
in hotels like these, uh, you know, like uh, wallpapers and, uh, you know, uh, like all the waste because there's a lot of, you know, and also they're obliged to renovate actually the hotels every, there's like every seven years or 10 years, they have a very short cycle, life cycle. So they're constantly renovating the rooms. So wood is quite an like uh, interesting material in that sense where you, I mean, you don't need much to renovate it. And anyway, if you need to, let's say, uh, like remove this, uh, all the inside or re, uh, refurbish it, you just have, you can reuse the material. So it's not, nothing goes to waste. So it's a case of really thinking about what those distinctive properties of wood are and then matching the project to the material. I actually got Andrew's take on this too, and it's interesting because I imagine that engineers are always going to be keen to test out structural possibilities and push boundaries, but Andrew was very measured and keen to think about where wooden architecture actually makes the most sense. So, not just throwing up wooden skyscrapers for the sake of it. Exactly. I mean, you can use those CLT components in larger scale buildings as walls or floor slabs in conjunction with other materials, which is interesting and a positive development in its own right. But it's not necessarily the bit that really captures Andrew's imagination. Because of fire and acoustic requirements in those structures, the wood often needs to be covered up. The type of architecture that Andrew sees as being Wood's future is smaller scale. They're buildings where the timber is really forming the structure of the architecture and where the wood is left exposed. Actually, that sort of low-rise building in timber, I think, is Wood's really natural home. We can build other things as well, but I think actually where you're combining the um, timber as structure and architecture, you can see it, you get all the well-being advantages, you get the real advantages of speed of construction because not only is the wood fast to build, but you can leave off all the finishes because, but because you've got those low acoustic and, and, and fire requirements. I mean, my favourites are where the architecture and the engineering is completely intertwined because somehow that feels to be the best use of the material. Yes, yes, we can use it for um, uh, the multi-storey buildings, perhaps completely encapsulated, but I, I, I just, uh, I, I love the idea of the combined architecture and structure. I think these questions about what timber is actually good for and what forms of architecture it suits are super helpful because they prompt wider reflection around the built environment. So Lena, for instance, flagged up that one issue for timber architecture is actually down to how the facade looks as it ages. There's also, politically uh, speaking, let's say uh, one of the issues also of wood is uh, facades in wood. If we have envelopes that where the wood is apparent, it uh, sometimes also, uh, let's say, uh, it has uh, like it raises issues for mayors because they think that the wood will be perished, it will uh, become grey with time, and that would f- make the building feel older and un uh, like uh, unwanted. So it there is a bit of skepticism about that issue. People are seriously concerned that a building might look a bit grey. I know, go figure, particularly given that concrete is so uh, grey from the get-go. But Lena points out that this concern is something that we can try to reframe or at least question. Why do we have a problem with buildings seeming to age? Thinking about issues like this is a route into wondering why, as a society, we're so obsessed with the new and easily seduced by appearances. 
We want and need to create an architectural culture that is deeper and that isn't based around constantly throwing up more developments and demolishing the old to make way for the new. One uh, question is the, uh, like the uh, acceptance of uh, age as part of the aesthetics of a project and the fact that the way we, uh, let's say, scale the wood, the way uh, it's uh, used on the facade, we can also anticipate the way it will age and show basically an image that will evolve. And it's also about uh, our culture, architecture culture, where we, are, we build an image and we are stuck on it. And I somehow feel like, I mean, it's absurd because in a way the project evolves. I mean, it evolves on site, it evolves with your understanding of the context. And more and more, we will be driven actually to think about a building that cannot have its image from the start. Because if you think about re reusable material and thinking about construction tomorrow from actually material that you will reuse, I mean, most of the time you don't really know what are the material, uh, materials that we end up using to build your project from the beginning. That's a great sentiment. And it's something that also highlights an opportunity. There's this surge of enthusiasm for wood, which is great, but wood is a material like any other. It has its advantages and disadvantages. And the key is really to get to grips with those and understand what wooden architecture can be if handled correctly. What's exciting is that the new developments around timber provide a little bit of space to think about how and why we build. Timber architecture is in a research phase. It's already had a lot of success, but it's still early days. And that's exciting because it gives us time to actually get things right. And here I really want to give the last word to Andrew, because this is a road he's been down before, given his years of experience as an engineer. And it's a situation where I think he has some really good advice. I, I would actually rather, I know there's a huge enthusiasm for wood and I think that's great. Um, but I do want to make sure that everything that's built is built correctly. And there is a little bit of a sense at the moment in which um, people get very enthusiastic, but they start doing things which are outside their expertise. I think that would be a tragedy if... Um, it, out of enthusiasm, something was built that was then um, had either durability issues or was unsafe in fire or, or, or something else. So that is why I would actually rather that we do work a little bit more slowly so that there is time for the UK design community and the construction community as well to learn how to use the material, start smaller, get bigger, work up. So that is the period that we're, we're, we're going through, and I think if we just take that a little bit more gently, um, it will be a real success story. This has been Words on Wood, a podcast made for and in collaboration with AHEC. It was hosted by me, Ollie Stratford, and India Block. It was produced and edited by Evie Hall. Next week, we'll be looking at new wood technologies with Sam Hecht, Elisa Bernato, and Eve Bahar.